and it did pay off. And after the Edgerly trial, you were hired to represent Sam Shepard of Ohio, what is likely your most well-known case. Were you reluctant to get involved, seeing as how he was really at the bottom of the barrel in terms of legal remedies when you found him? Well, he was certainly at the bottom of the barrel, and that's the way I like to describe his case. He had lost not only a jury verdict, but a total of 11 appeals. And I took him on for the sole purpose of ensuring that if he were allowed to take a polygraph test by the prison authorities, that it would be fair, the examiner would be neutral, and it would be properly run. Because I had learned an awful lot about the polygraph in the military and come to respect and rely upon it. When the state of Ohio said, no, we don't want to know how he will do on a polygraph test, I uh, didn't lose my temper, but I got pretty angry and said, okay, you guys had your chance to go the fair route. And I went in um, a federal court and dismantled his trial machinery and some of the appeals to the point where the federal judge ordered him released and said that his trial was a mockery of justice. That was a pretty good turnaround from the bottom of the barrel, particularly since the prosecutor, I think unwisely, but perhaps politically necessarily, elected to retry him, and the jury gave him what I would call a thumping acquittal. And you were still fairly young when you did the Shepard case. How much of trial work or legal work in general do you think is natural? How much of it could be learned over time? I think that certain talents and skills are tremendously beneficial. Um, If you want to be a trial lawyer, having a good memory and a good command of the language are two essentials. But most of the top trial lawyers in history have come not from the top of the class, as I happen to, but from somewhere in the top half. They were street people. Uh, They could look a man in the eye and get some ideas to whether or not his story was true or fabricated. And those are the fellows that I got to know as a very young man who were already at the top of their game. And I learned something from all of them. And indeed, this October, I am going to be the architect of a program at Duquesne Law School in Pittsburgh that will attempt to teach young lawyers to be good trial lawyers. And by that, I mean young lawyers who have some courtroom experience. This is not a program for recent law graduates. So Shepard v. Maxwell comes down in 1966. I think in that same year and the following year, you represented Dr. Carl Capolino in two states, New Jersey and Florida. We mentioned earlier you represented clients across the country. How tough is it to go from state to state, every state with its own local rules, procedural statutes, even for a skilled trial lawyer such as yourself? I almost inevitably had local counsel, unless I was in federal court, where it's a lot less necessary. But I always got local practitioners to brief me on the trial judge, his proclivities or hers later on, and... uh, habits and preferences and things like that, because the trial judge has a tremendous amount of authority and can issue many orders and rulings that won't be seriously scrutinized and appealed. So the old maxim when in Rome do as the Romans do holds water. I must tell you 
there was more variance from judge to judge than there was from state to state. If you had a good judge, he was going to be a good judge no matter what state he was sitting in or what state he had come from, because frequently I had judges that were transferred into a county or federal district, especially to hear that case.